Hey guys, and welcome to the fourth episode of Egos and Burritos. I wanted to apologize because this episode took way too long to actually get out, um, but with good purpose. I was actually moving houses during this time, so that's what I've been up to. Um, but I'm really excited about this episode. We are going to talk a lot about outdoor education, specifically revolving around Outward Bound. And I'm, I'll be interviewing an Outward Bound instructor today who I know pretty well. Um, he's a really cool cool guy, has a lot of cool insight, and honestly an amazing climber as well. So um, he has some funny stories and some really good um, intellectual stories as well. So I hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome to Egos and Burritos. I wanted to introduce my next guest to the podcast. His name is Bill Kinter. He's a veteran instructor for the Hour Bound School in Colorado. A proud father of two amazing guinea pigs, and Bill has led backpacking trips and mountaineering trips all throughout Colorado. He has been climbing as far as Thailand and Mexico. He has dedicated his life to upholding the values of Hour Bound everywhere he goes and lives life in the outdoors. With further ado, I'd like to welcome Bill to Egos and Burritos. Hey, man, how's it going? Yo, yo, what's up? With further ado? With further ado, is that, I don't know. Did I mess it's that up? With, without further ado. Without further ado. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Dude, whatever. Leave it in. I know. I'm just going to stitch through it. <laughs> cool. Well, again, man, thanks yeah, dude, it's, for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, dude, it's awesome just to talk to you again. It's been, how long has it been? I think the last time I saw you was when we were uh, climbing coolars on Indian Peaks, yeah? Uh, was it that or was it we were climbing in Eldo? Oh, yeah, we, I for, totally forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we tried um, to do Yeah, we still got to go back and uh, finish that route, too. Oh, we need oh to yeah, man. But then the wind from hell came through, and then, of course, it died as soon as we decided to bail and wrap off the base. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. And, and just, and running laps, freestyling that, like, five, seven or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was what, it's what you make it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah, no, dude, I, I, I miss doing that shit with you. Um, like, yeah, you were a good partner, and, like, it's, it was, it was cool to find someone who, like, I could, like, trust my life with, but also mm -hmm. just had the stoke to get out into terrain and maybe, like, you know, pushing limits a little bit, mental and physical limits a little bit. I mean, that's um, I love it too. Like I very, I find very few people who are looking to do that as well. So yeah, yeah <laughs> it's hard to find good partners on that. Yeah. Um, although yeah, these days, like the few people who are still out do, uh, sending it and doing that kind of stuff, uh, they're definitely not posting about it on Facebook if they're smart about it. If there's still people getting out in the mountains but they should not be right now dude have you been like hearing about all those uh people who like need search and rescue during this time and they just oh dude yeah. yeah the the number of gumbies getting out into the back country is uh it's troubling it's, it's troubling. a little it bit really troubling <laughs> um it's a bummer too that as soon as the uh ski resorts shut down like i'm a brand new skier like i've been climbing forever but um mm -hmm. i decided to get in the skier and feel like i actually live in colorado um and you know i've just been going to eldora all the time and yeah. as soon as i came back from uh from petrero i was stoked to like i, I miss skiing while i was down there mm -hmm. uh, and i was stoked to just like spend every day up at eldora again and try to get better but then like a week later the resort closed and never opened back up and of course i don't have a backcountry set up 
Um, but, but that didn't stop me from going out with a buddy of mine, going up into Indian Peaks. And I technically skied my first Kular um, with Ooh. my terrible rental skis. <laughs> which, and, and so I had to carry skis and snowshoes up there. Oh, it was cool. a... It was a 14-hour day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, we skied a crooked cooler on Autobahn, and I fell probably every 20 feet or so. Um, <laughs> but it was so much fun. And then, like, two days later was when the order came through of not going into the backcountry anymore. And you're like, well, I just did my toe-in, and now I can't do it at all. Like, <laughs> Yeah, ex- exactly, yeah. Yeah. What a tease that is. What a tease. <laughs> I know. I miss the mountains, man. Yeah. So like, yeah. How are you doing with quarantine? Like, are you, you're stuck at home. Um, what have you been doing to keep the time going? Um, well, I am completely unemployed at the moment. Um, like I said, the gym shut down maybe like a week after I got back, week and a half after I got back. Um, and that was where I did like all my private instructing. Like I had a lot of classes lined up, which is where I make a majority of my money working with a lot of private clients. Um, I was teaching a rock rescue course that I had a bunch of people signed up for. And oh, nice. The te- teaching the rock rescue, A, it's my favorite kind of class to teach, but it's also the one that I charge the most money for and can get the biggest cut from. And yeah. then that all got canceled. Oh. Um, and then the only other gig that I have right now is Outward Bound, which has, as of a couple of days ago, has now been delayed through July 6th. So it's still hopefully happening. Um, But yeah, like half my season already got canceled. Like my, uh, I had a 15 day uh, mountaineering course that was going to be my first time as a lead instructor. Um, That was pretty stoked on. And my first 15 day mountaineering course, a little more technical, but that got canceled. I still got a couple more courses on the docket, but we'll see. Yeah, man. Um, But but yeah, not being able to really leave Boulder and not being able to get on the mountains and trying to do the right thing and uh, refrain from climbing has been tough. Um, but I've been doing a lot of uh, cycling lately. Oh, nice. um, ju- Just on a, I wish I had a mountain bike. Like the mountain biking sounds really tempting right now, but just been like biking on the road a lot um, and running a lot again. Oh, cool. um, and I've been kind of scheming and dreaming of being able to bike like be doing like a multi-sport adventure kind of day of biking like 20 or 30 miles somewhere and then you know running up a front range summit you know not alpine just like an eight or nine thousand foot peak somewhere in the front range somewhere in the foothills um and then running back down and biking back home um yeah i've been really stoked on the endurance sports lately Um, and I, uh, convinced a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine who I met in Mexico, um, to, uh, sign up for a 50 miler with me come, come this fall. Um, cause I, I did my first, uh, 50 K last December and that completely just destroyed my body and it took a couple months to heal from that. (laughs) Um, and yeah, now just trying to set my sights a little bit higher and it's nice having a goal like that. Yeah. And just doing a thing that seems too hard for me to actually do, but just like see, see where my limit is. You know, you like the challenge, right? I mean, that's yeah. part of the outdoors is like that challenge and just to see how far you can push that limit. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I've, yeah, I've been running since I was probably nine, but didn't start running distance until after I graduated college where, you know, ran my first marathon and then just ran my first ultra. Um, 
but I haven't even come close to actually reaching that limit. So I don't know how far I can actually go. Who knows? That's right. Um, Sounds like you're yeah, working to get super fit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I've, it's weird because I think initially I did the same thing that everybody's doing right now of thinking like, okay, I have all this free time I have to capitalize on. I have to learn a new language or be really productive or learn a new skill or remodel my apartment or blah, blah, blah. And I think after like maybe the first two weeks of this, that's where my mind was like really feeling like I needed to be productive Mm -hmm. with all this free time I found myself with. And then I was, uh, talking with a friend of mine um, who I met down in Mexico and I was asking her, you know, we were just talking on the phone and I was uh, asking her like, you know, what do you plan on doing with all this time? Like, how do you plan on maximizing it? And she said that um, she has always her entire life been really focused on how to maximize her time and set really big audacious goals for herself and really push herself and always try to better herself. And she was actually, going the opposite direction taking this time to reacquaint herself with herself yeah and that kind of caught me off guard that made me stop and think huh that's a different perspective um (laughs) you know just try to try to be okay with just being alive like still do the things you want to do but i think a lot of people right now are um maybe falling short of those crazy big goals that they set and now feel depressed for not meeting those crazy audacious goals um, because they can't be okay with just being. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I have big goals, but like I'm going on runs because I enjoy running. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't like training. I fucking hate training. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even the words working out, I hate that because like, you know, my, my two things I do running and climbing, you know, like I, I stay in shape by doing things because I enjoy the activity itself. I don't think of it as working out because it's not work. It's play. That's why I do it. I'm playing in the mountains. I'm playing on the trails. I'm playing on the rock. Um, and I think, yeah, it just comes down to having the right perspective. If yeah. you know, you're going to mentally get through all this shit. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, other than that, um, cooking a lot, nice. food projects, big fan of food projects, and snuggling with my guinea pigs, nice. honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be later on in the questionnaire, so I'm excited to hear about these guys. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I mean, I've already told you plenty about them personally, yeah. but like, I, <laughs> my, my love for them has uh, increased exponentially, <laughs> just like all the quality time we spend together. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> so great. So great. <laughs> yeah. Sweet, man. Well, um, yeah, so, I mean, as an Hour Bound instructor, I mean, for those who don't know Hour Bound, Hour Bound is one of probably the biggest name in outdoor expedition and outdoor education, arguably, and they hold some of the best values and go on some of the best trips. Um, So, yeah, so with Bill being an instructor, I was kind of curious on your interpretation of these values. Um, I know a lot of it aligns with, like, character building, uh, pushing outside, um, you know, overcoming adversity as a group, service to others. And so I was kind of curious on your interpretation of these values that Hourbound holds. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, so there are five core values uh, to Hourbound that's kind of laid out by the founder, Kurt Hahn. Um, 
who's a really interesting character in a lot of different ways, but um, he laid out the five uh, pillars or values of Aberbound are enterprising curiosity, an indefatigable spirit, tenacity in pursuit, readiness for sensible self-denial, and above all, compassion. Um, so in the courses that we uh, run, like my role as an instructor is to, you know, take these, you know, dozen or so, uh, usually teenage age kids, but we, you know, work with all age groups, everything from 12 years old all the way to 65 years old, mm-hmm. um, or even younger than 12 in some cases. And we'll take them out into the backcountry for anywhere from three days or eight days or 15 days or a month or even as much as 90 days uh, for our longer courses. And, you know, we could be just having a fun time, just going camping, going backpacking or climbing and, um, you know, teaching outdoor skills, but that's not really what we're trying to do. Like, yeah, that is a fun experience, but if that is all you get out of it, then you're kind of missing the point. So it's through the outdoors, through the mountains or through the desert, the rivers, the ocean, whatever kind of course um, students may be on, we're trying to instill these five values. Um, And the one that resonates most with me is um, definitely compassion. I think for a lot of my life, my own personal journey has been trying to trying to have more compassion, not only for the people in my life, like my friends and family and teachers and coworkers and even, even just strangers, even just the person ringing up my groceries at the local Safeway or the person who cut me off in traffic, um, but also trying to have um, more compassion for myself, be more forgiving for myself even, which is easier said than done. Um, but I think it's kind of a necessary core value to have to live a good and fulfilling life. You know, like we were to uh, chat, you and I were chatting a little bit before we started recording, but um, you know, with my like skepticism of uh, capitalism in particular with everything that's been going on, thinking about how, um, uh, hoping that people are going to realize that having money and having things is not really what makes them happy. My hope is that people are going to realize that mm-hmm. and that people are going to realize that the relationships in their life and that loving one another and taking care of one another and being forgiving of one another mm-hmm. is really where their happiness and their joy comes from in their life that is not about you know being able to not about not about being able to go to the climbing gym right now or being able to uh you know go out to a nice dinner or go to a movie theater or you know go out on your million dollar yacht or whatever it is um that's about having that love and compassion in your life like at like the core of everything that you do yeah and that is what I believe. That's that's a, a lesson that I think I've been learning really my entire life, and I'm still actively learning that lesson. And I'm a human. I am fallible. I make mistakes. Uh, I am going to forget that lesson from time to time, and I'm going to have to learn it all over again. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's never just a perfect formula. You know, you can't be like, no, I know passion, so I'm 
the perfect human. Uh, it's an ongoing process for sure. It's never a one. Yeah, for sure. Situation. So. Yeah, it'd be way easier if it was a one and done, but not quite not quite as interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of curious with this like kind of insight that you have being an instructor and with these core values that I think you hold pretty dear to your heart. How has that affected your like life outside of this, outside of being an instructor? Have you carried these values? Like, obviously you do carry these values, but have, like, has it improved your life maybe being in a pandemic or like a situation they didn't quite know how to handle or a more difficult situation? Has it kind of prepared you a little more? <clears throat> um, yeah, I think right now in particular, um, what a lot of the world is facing is that self-denial um like one of the other values readiness for sensible self-denial like break that down like what does that mean self-denial you know you are denying yourself maybe some creature comforts um that could be anything from a warm bed to sleep in or a hot meal you know at the end of hiking all day um you know it can be you're denying yourself your phone or you know, maybe being able to talk to your friends or family from back home while you're out on a trip. Um, right now, it's a lot of the creature comforts that everybody takes for granted that they're having to deny themselves, like in order to, you know, protect the protect more vul vulnerable parts of the population um, from having this virus spread. Um, but you know, it's sensible. Like you're not denying yourself food for a week because that would just be destructive to your body you know there's sensible denial and there's unsensible nonsensical self-denial yeah. um but denying yourself some creature comforts um on occasion can really benefit you i mean i think what we're seeing right now is people are realizing the difference between wants and needs for example what they actually you know, what they want and what they actually need in their life and the things that people are having to go without are not really the necessities for their life. I think people are slowly realizing that. I know I am. Mm -hmm. um, and that the things that are actually necessary, you know, outside of just being able to survive food, shelter, things like that, is connection with the people that they are not able to see. You know, I think people definitely are mourning over the fact that they can't go visit their parents right now if they have older parents like my parents are holed up on north carolina right now um and they're of that age bracket where they're more susceptible yeah. um and yeah and yeah it, it hurts them right now that they can't go visit their children and their grandchildren um but being denied that for a time because this w will end mm -hmm. that it makes everybody realize how important that actually is to them yeah. that they may take it for granted if they don't have to go a time without it. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something that I see right now. Um, and it's like a pretty interesting for me because I mean, uh, on our bound trips you are stripped of all technology and pretty much any comfort, <laughs> you know, yeah. more day to day comfort for sure. And I mm -hmm. think this insight that you have about septum denial, I learned a lot on my hour bound trip too. And, when I got back from my trip, I was able to reprioritize a lot of different things and see what's important and what isn't. And so that's like really cool that you can see that and apply that to life. Yeah. Like, um, did you do a solo on your course? I did. I did a, did a 24 hour solo. 
Yeah. And do, do you uh, fast the whole time? I did fast. Yeah. I had M&Ms and nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, um, just kind of briefly explain. So on all of our courses, it's, um, a big, uh, tradition of outward bound that at some point in the course, no matter how long it is, we put the students on what we call solo and it can range anywhere from for shorter courses and maybe only an hour long. Um, for longer courses, it can be up to 72 hours long. And during that, it's usually later in the course when the students maybe are a little bit more uh, capable, <laughs> for lack of a better word, a um, little, little, little bit toughened up. They got a little bit more grit and they're maybe a little bit more willing to do it. Um, but they, the instructors will place the students uh, separate from one another so they can't see or hear or talk to anybody else uh, during the solo. And we'll just say it's for, uh, for 48 hours for two days. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time they are given they're given water and they're given a small packet of very limited food we're maybe 800 calories total um enough to where like you can get by but you are going to be uncomfortable you're going to be really really hungry and you have to stay in your sight the entire time and you just have to be alone with your thoughts and you have a journal and that's it you don't have anything to do uh, no book, no phone, no nothing. And the idea is there's so, so rarely in our day-to-day lives are we forced to be alone with our thoughts for that long when we don't realize how hard and scary that actually is until we are forced to do it. And I, I don't, I've never met a student who came out of a solo that was 24 hours or longer who said like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. Like, no, like they're all go a little bit stir crazy. They're all really bored and they're really, you know, like they might really, really miss home and they're going to be hungry and they're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be tired. But so often by the end of course, I have heard so many students say that that was by far the most transformative part of the entire experience for them. Which is kind of funny to think about that of all the adventures that they have, like going off in the mountains and crossing rivers and going climbing and doing all these crazy things. That the thing that was the most impactful for them was sitting alone under a tarp yeah, <laughs> by themselves. But like there's something about that experience that can be really, really transformative. Like I have one story um, on the last course I did. It was uh, all... 13 the all 13 year old boys which was a fucking nightmare let me tell you that was the hardest course i've had it was a 15 day alpine backpacking and they were doing a uh, 40 hour solo so just shy of um two full days and 13 years old like their attention span like they don't have an attention span (laughs) um and and they, they were they they were uh they were difficult. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. But there was one student in particular who, so we started them at night at night on day one. And then the next morning, the student was kind of like up on a cliff. We saw him kind of like waving to us and like making noise. And we were where he was like, just trying to like get the attention of other students and kind of ruin their solo. So we went up in uh, to check on him. And what we do, um, if they need to communicate with us, like we'll go around and kind of check on the students and they'll have their helmet and they have happy turtle or sad turtle 
a happy turtle is the helmet just like sitting right side up. That's like, everything is okay. I don't need anything. You know, I'm good to go. If they have a sad turtle, if the turtle's on its back, they'll leave a note inside the helmet that will like ask for something. It could just be like, hey, I need more water or I'm really not doing okay physically or mentally, whatever it may be. Um, and we went up there and he left a note that was really heartbreaking. Um, it was basically saying that he felt miserable, that he thought about killing himself. And we had placed him like up on a cliff. So it was kind of a red flag, like, oh man, you mm -hmm. know, we need to, we need to take care of this. Yeah. That he was really struggling, that he was miserable. He didn't feel like his family loved him. He wanted to go home. He really wanted to hurt himself and he never felt that way before. He had never told anybody that he had felt that way. Um, so with him, we did have to break the solo and kind of have a one-on-one -on -one talk with him because if a student threatens yes. to self-harm, like you can't, you can't let that go. Um, yeah, exactly. So I had an intervention with him and I talked with him for probably two hours and it was mostly just being there and listening to him as he cried and just kind of vented about everything that he was feeling, which was, you know, like a lot of difficult feelings, I'm sure like a lot of people do struggle with from time to time. Um, and after talking to him for a while, we left up to him, like, do you want to continue the solo? He said that he do, he did want to, but that he was scared. Um, but you know, we told him that like, if you change your mind, if you want to end the solo, or if you feel like you need to leave, just let us know or like come back to where the instructor camp is. And so we left him again. And then the next day, so like another 24 hours later, the following morning, we were going to be taking him off solo at about noon that day. Um, and we checked on him in the morning and there was another note in his helmet. And when I saw that, my heart sank on, I'm like, Oh no. Like, like <laughs> you know, thinking like, Oh, you're so close, but like, come on. Like I, like I didn't, I didn't want more bad news. But I read that note, and it was, <laughs> he, he, he's, I'm going to like tear up. He wrote, <laughs> I am, he's like, thank you so much for talking to me yesterday. I feel worlds better. And going through that experience just made me realize how much I love my dad and love my family and love the people around me. And I want them to know that. And I want you to know that I spent the rest of this time writing letters to my entire family. Can you please send these letters like to my dad? you know, like while I'm out on course and like I'm reading this and I'm just bawling, I'm completely <laughs> losing it. But I'm all, but I'm also celebrating like, yes, this is why we do this, you know? Yeah. Um, like there's something about that experience that can really transform, transform your whole framework um, yeah. of like how you look at your life. And I um, actually like in the uh, little side table right next to my bed right here in this drawer, I have both of those letters. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and that that was the biggest moment of like, this is why I do what I do, mm -hmm. because that was a pretty amazing thing to see that kind of transformation. Like it was hard. Like yeah. he went through hell and back, and he did struggle a lot through that course. Like he was by far the smallest kid on the mm -hmm. entire course. His backpack weighed more than he did. Yeah. Um, but like he probably gained more than anybody. He struggled more than anybody, and he gained more than anybody. That's so awesome to hear. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I feel like as we're having this conversation, I'm like kind of equating that solo trip that you guys offer on every expedition to kind of what the world is facing right now. 
you know, like, yeah, we're having a global solo. <laughs> yeah, we're having a global solo. Really, I'm like thinking about. It, I was like, yeah, like everyone is finally alone with their thoughts. And if you like, you know, no one like only a small percentage of people go on our bound trips in the grand scheme of things. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's so cool to see this like exchange and insight that our bound and instructors and alumni kind of have. So yeah, that's like really cool. <laughs> Um, awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's very heartwarming and just amazing to hear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I was going to kind of move on to the next question. Um, although it might be late, <laughs> slightly less lighthearted, um, or a little more lighthearted. Sorry about that. And it was curious on how do you see this intersection between like high risk activities and these hour bound values? And I was kind of curious if that played a reason into why you were a climber and runner and, you know, <laughs> adventure seeker pretty much <laughs> man i guess with um i mean when it comes to our bound in particular i don't the i i don't see the value in high risk as much with what we're trying to deliver with our bound i think the big benefit with our bound is just that so many people don't have <clears throat> don't have the access to nature and to the mountains or they might have the access, but maybe they, it's just not a value for them because they've never been exposed to them. It's never been like a family value or a cultural value, um, particularly for uh, students who come from lower income families or maybe live within the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's just a lot of value in just being in nature itself. Like even, even if you're not, taking a lot of high risk or even pushing yourself that hard physically, I think there's a lot of value in just being in a quiet place. Um, I think it kind of digs into like a, a deep part of the human brain and you just realize like, yeah, this is just good. Like this is kind of where I belong because humans are just animals. And for most of our existence, we lived in the woods and in the plains and in the mountains and in the desert. Um, and I think there's a part of us that just remembers and where we kind of feel at home. Yeah. Um, now that said, yeah, I think with the students with pushing themselves physically to reach a goal, it's more about, challenging themselves in ways that like they're able to accomplish things that maybe they don't think they can accomplish or they have those moments of self-doubt and they come through it or better yet they have those moments of self-doubt and then there are the other people in the group that are part of their family essentially their outward bound family who are there to support them mm-hmm. you know it like i love it when a student kind of like hits rock bottom and kind of has a bit of a breakdown and like they don't want to be there anymore they want to go home they don't feel like they belong there. they don't think they can do this and everyone else rallies up and they're like no come on you can we're like we got you we'll help you out we'll, we'll help carry some of your weight and that kind of tribal energy yeah i think like people really resonate with that and they find a lot of value in that mm-hmm. um because again, I think in our day-to-day lives, we're too disconnected from one another where we're kind of taught to not rely on one another. Yeah. Um, and so you may not get that kind of support in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Or at least like you're not able to get 
you're, you don't get see that kind of support and camaraderie and tribal energy as much in, you know, a urban or suburban environment because you don't have those harsher conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I keep coming back to this tribal mindset. Like as I've been doing these podcasts, I talk to everyone who's either struggling with depression, depression or bullying. And every mm-hmm. time they say that the one thing that gets them through the most is their group. They're the, the group that they identify the most with, you know, like, and it's really interesting that we spend so much time looking at us versus them that we kind of disconnect ourselves from a group. So it's really cool to see mm-hmm. this consistent uh, pattern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sweet. So I was going to kind of change into a little more, um, instead of talking a little more hour bound, I was kind of curious if we could just hop right back onto the guinea pig story. <laughs> it seems like the most interesting thing. I'm so curious about these little guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we got them uh, a little over a year ago now. It was last March. Um, just like got them on Craigslist. Um, and uh, Bean is the mother and Spooky is the daughter. Spooky was only like two weeks old when we got her. Um, Bean is now like a little over two years old. Okay. Um, but yeah, especially these days, I've been spending a lot of quality time with them. Um, <laughs> and they are, they are just such a source of joy. And I, I never thought that uh, me of all people, no, nobody in my life thought that I of all people would ever not only own guinea pigs, but be really fucking enthusiastic about them. Yeah, I can tell you the excitement is palpable. It's on. Oh yeah, if, if you look at my Instagram, like a majority of my Instagram these days is <laughs> cuddling with guinea pigs. Like whatever, dude. This is my domestic bliss, and I am loving it. Coming from a battled hour bound instructor to the most enthusiastic guinea pig owner. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, for sure. Um, yeah, did a. Yeah, did I tell you the story of like how I got them? No, you did everything? not. All right, so we got them. Okay, so a little bit of background. Um, so uh, my partner Anna, she grew up with guinea pigs, and absolutely loved them. Like she had several when she was just a kid, um, and she's lived you know similar life to me for the last few years of uh, seasonal jobs and traveling around a lot and taking these big trips and whatnot. And so when her and I moved in together in, in Boulder, for both of us, this was our first apartment that we had in, I think, four years or something like that. Like, neither of us have paid rent for a really long time before we <laughs> moved in here. We've just been, like, living in vehicles or traveling around or whatever. Yeah. Um, and she just kind of offhandedly asked me one day if I would ever consider getting, getting guinea pigs as a pet. And I looked at her and I said, no dude why why the fuck would i want to own guinea pigs of all yeah. things like they're just they're just oversized hamsters yeah exactly um and i remember i remember so clear she just had this look of horror on her face oh, oh no. like the kind the kind of look that said oh i don't know if this is going to work out between you and i <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty that was pretty much what she said too of like oh man like uh, i don't know about this um uh, but then like a week later i was uh looking through uh, Craigslist for something. Uh, I think I was looking for a couch or something like that. And I found a couple guinea pigs for sale on Craigslist. And 
And I was like, ah, you know, like, what the hell? You know, why not? So I like, didn't, yeah. didn't even really think too hard about it. Just like, oh, you know, I'll surprise her. Why not? It'll, it'll make her happy. And I, I came home that night and I uh, tried to convince her, like, like, hey, I found, like, we were, like, looking for a new couch. Like, hey, I found, like, a couch on Craigslist. I need your help. It's like, come move it. So I need you to come with me. And she and it was like, it's nine o'clock at night. Like, I'm, I don't want to move a couch right now. <laughs> and like she could tell that like something was up and she was like why why are you acting weird why something seems a little bit off right now i'm like okay i'm not getting a couch and she was like what are you getting i'm like guinea pigs <laughs> so we went that night and i picked up these two guinea pigs and when i got them i thought guinea pigs only lived for like a year because i had hamsters growing up and they died after like less than a year no i didn't find out until later that they live for like eight years <laughs> and they're and they're young and so like like i'm gonna be, but like i'm gonna be like 35 years old and i'm still gonna own these two that's so funny that's i did not funny. know that that's what i was signing up for um but like fortunately i fell in love with these little fur potatoes they are a source uh, such a source of light in my life um even though Spooky can't sit still for two seconds and she's not very good at cuddling. Fortunately, Bean is. So she's been my reading buddy since I've Aww. been reading a lot these days. I'll just like sit on my front porch and I'll just have Bean sitting on my lap for like two hours. <laughs> um, but this is where the story gets kind of interesting. So there's one day, I, um, I think like last September. So like I had had them for six months. I got them last March and this was last September that uh, I was going through a phase where I was really into like scrambling and like free selling different routes in the flat irons. Yep. And so I was trying to um, free sold uh, one, two, and three in a single push. Yep. And so, and so I did that, like I did the East direct on the first, did um, freeway on the second, and then just like went up the standard East face in the third. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the top of the third, there were two other people up there. Um, and I asked them, because I, I wasn't sure where the down climbing was off the third. So I asked if they could show me. And they said, like, yeah, you know, you can just, like, follow us. And so I'm down climbing uh, from the summit onto this uh, little saddle uh, where they're kind of hanging out. And I overhear them talking. And I overhear them talking something about pigs. Like, uh, like okay, hey, you have one of the pigs, right? Yeah, okay, I got the other one. And I think to myself, like, are they talking about guinea pigs? <laughs> and, so I just, and so when I get down there, I ask them, like, hey, are you guys talking about guinea pigs right now? And they're like, yeah. And they each take off their backpack and they each pull a guinea pig out of their what? respective backpacks. <laughs> what the and they were telling me how that, like, yeah, they do this all the time, that they just free solo the flat irons with guinea pigs with them all the time. They were, like, taking pictures, like, holding them up to the boulder skyline and everything. And I just thought this was the funniest shit in the world. And I told them like, Oh, I've got two guinea pigs at home too. Like, and I love them, but like never taking them free soloing, but like maybe I will. But anyway, and they were telling me, um, that, uh, like their names were, uh, Pippin and Legolas. And I'm a big, big Lord of the Rings nerd. So I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Yep. <laughs> um, and they were telling me like, yeah, we've got a bunch more at home, like all named after Lord of the Rings characters. Um, and they started listing them off. And one of their um, game picks is named Gandalf. Yep. As soon as they said that, I kind of paused. And I thought to myself like, wait a second, Gandalf? 
why does that sound familiar? And then I realized that the people who I bought um, Spooky and Bean from, like Bean is Spooky's mom mm-hmm. and Spooky's dad was named Gandalf. He was this big gray guinea pig. Okay. And I was like, I thought to myself, that's weird. And I asked them, like, by any chance, did you guys buy Gandalf off of Craigslist? Um, and they said, like, no, nah, but we sold a bunch of his babies on Craigslist to a couple of these people. And then I realized, no fucking shit, I bought your guinea pigs. <laughs> Dude, what a small world. <laughs> and so I showed them pictures, and they're like, oh, my God, that's totally Bean. And look, it's spooky. She's so big. Oh, my God. And... Yeah, so I ended up becoming friends with them. Uh, we have had a family reunion with oh, Gandalf. Gandalf tried to hump Spooky, and then it got weird, and then we had to cut them off. Yeah, that's, um, that's, not, that's for the deep side. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, like, I just couldn't help but think, like, what are the chances of that? Like, not only that I meet the, because, you know, like, I, I had hardly any interaction with these people mm-hmm. when I actually bought them. It was super brief. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, super brief interaction, like ten minutes or something like that. So I didn't really remember them. It wasn't yeah. a memorable experience. And not only did I happen to run into them at the summit of the third flat iron, but they happened to be the kind of people who free solo climb yeah, exactly. flat irons with like just the chances of it are so small. incredibly small. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I'd like. I don't, be- I don't believe in signs from the universe, but if I did, like, that, that, that's one that of them. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who knew there'd be um, but, a community of guinea pigs in Boulder, Colorado? I would have no idea. I know, right? Yeah, and, like, we were all about the same age, like, late 20s people who, like, how many late 20-year-olds who climb <laughs> are oh, that pigs. enthusiastic about their pigs? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is hysterical. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I, I fucking love them though. Like they, they are, they are such a source of joy. Nice. That is so awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. Man. That is, that is an amazing story. I never, I never thought that's why guinea pigs, why you're so enthusiastic about it. But I see now there's been a lot of history around these pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. How could you not love them? Come on. That's yeah. just, this is true. They there are so they are. Cool. So cute. <laughs> um, sweet man. So when I asked you to do this podcast, you mentioned you had a super funny burrito story, and I feel like I have to ask it because the title is Egos and Burritos. <laughs> well, can I can I ask you like, did the name come from anywhere other than just the rhyme? So D- tell me the story of the name. So, uh, so. I don't know if you knew, but I started the climbing club at my university. Mm, I knew that. Yep. And so my last year, I started this thing called Illegal Thursdays. Um, And Illegal Thursdays is where every Thursday after practice, we go to Illegal Pete's and we have like team bonding where we go eat burritos and we drink Mm -hmm. margaritas and just have some team bonding time. Of course. I think that's when I came up with the idea because I was thinking, I was like, you know, I view a lot of people like I talk to a lot of people on egoism or sorry on at illegal peace I get to know them a little more over burritos um and so I was like you know like I get to know people this way over burritos and I was like why don't I do this like podcasts are like coming up and I'm like egos and burritos like it worked out so well 
And then the Eagles <clears throat> part of the title I got from a video I watched of Cody Townsend. He was talking about how being an athlete, you tend to have a big ego on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ego can be very dangerous, but also very beneficial to your climbing, your skiing, your mountaineering. And so I kind of combined the two ideas of like egos and burritos. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, I dig it. I dig it. Mm -hmm. All right. So, well, um, it's perfect too because the story actually deals with um, climbing as well. And I guess my ego was definitely a little bit bruised from it. Um, So, yeah, this story, uh, this was from about three, maybe four years ago. I can't remember. I want to say three years ago. Um, I was climbing up in Lumpy Ridge with a couple buddies of mine, and we had kind of a like a hell of a day like our asses were kicked pretty good i don't know have you climbed in um in lumpy much yeah a little bit okay so you know like the walk-offs for a lot of those routes can be like kind of confusing and like route finding can be kind of weird like gear is super finicky with really shallow flared cracks yep um yeah it's like it's a little bit of adventure style um like moderate adventure style and we were climbing on uh bookend i think Okay. I don't nice. really remember exactly what routes we were on because we later found out that we were got so far off route that we effectively climbed pitches that crossed over three different routes. Wild. We were we intended to climb a five seven, and I ended up leading a ten a traverse pitch that scared the crap out of me. And and we were climbing on a party of three, so it took a really long time. And this is like a twelve hour day to mm-hmm. do like four four pitches or something like that. It was like a two mile hike up and I don't really know how, but at some point I sprained my ankle. And so like, but I didn't realize how bad my ankle hurt until we were, until we topped out and we were getting ready to, we had a single rappel and then we had to do like a three mile hike out or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, so I sprained my ankle. I like, I'm not having it. Like I'm dehydrated. Yeah. I'm, I'm starving. And so, uh, like uh, with my two buddies, like they were, they were also kind of being buttheads and they hiked way ahead of me. And I was just like limping behind them for three fucking miles. Oh. And, and I finally get back to the trailhead and, and like, it's already dark. It's like nine o'clock at this point. And already I'm thinking like, I just want to get back to Boulder and I really, really want to go to Chipotle. I really want to get a burrito. Yeah, and I double check and I double check what time they close. I'm like, okay, sweet. They close at 10 PM on Saturdays. Perfect. I'll totally be able to make it there in time. It's like, 45 minute drive or something like that. And so I'm driving back, I'm driving back to Boulder and um, right near, uh, do you know where Elk Meadow is at? About halfway between Estes and Boulder. Yep. So I was like right at that point and I noticed uh, cars driving the other way, like two cars passed me driving the other way and they were flashing their high beams at me. And I was kind of confused. I'm like, huh, why are they flashing their hands at me? I'm assuming they're trying to alert me of something, but I couldn't really tell. And this is back when I was driving Gladys, my giant, you remember Gladys. Yeah, the giant white. Yeah. (laughs) No, the giant like maroon, brownish, reddish, rusted van. Yeah, the 1990 Chevy G20 Gladiator that I lived in for like three years. Yeah, that's where Uh, we Two, (laughs) two, three years, something like that. Yeah, so I was driving Gladys down like this huge clunker of a van right but like i I love that van so much mm-hmm. so i'm driving her down and like my uh headlights aren't great because it was an old van like i didn't have high beams um i'm like 
still kind of just kind of think to myself like huh why are they flashing high beams at me and like by the time i see it it's basically too late and i can't stop but i see this just giant mass in the middle of the road just like stretching the entire lane like 10 feet wide lying down on the road i couldn't really tell what it is and i hit it like full speed going like 50 miles an hour and i just had the biggest as i drive over this thing and you know i've got everything i own in my van that's not strapped down so i've got like climbing gear and like piss bottles and like food and books just like flying and like hitting the windshield and like i'm okay and the van is okay but like i just hit something fucking huge yeah and i and i pull over and i like and like inspect the grill i'm like okay the grill looks good the tires look good i look at the underside of the van and it's just completely covered in blood and fur and i look back and i just see like whatever i hit i shredded it and i couldn't really tell what it was it was either an elk or a moose i'm not really sure all i knew was it was huge and i think it was already dead but it might have still been alive Either yeah. way, it, if it wasn't dead, it like I finished the job. That's for sure. <laughs> Fair enough. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this thing was just shredded. Like I have pictures of the underside of my van at this time. Yeah. But so <laughs> that already just caused me a shit ton of stress. A bunch of other cars pulled over and they're like, "Wow, like, are you okay?" And, you know, just checking on me, and I'm like, "Yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm just, you know, like, it looks like there's a." bloodbath like happened underneath my vehicle like yeah uh jason Voorhees just like went to town on some college kids like underneath my van mm-hmm. um but i'm still set i'm driving back to town and i get to boulder and like as i'm driving i think like there's like hot parts of the van like underneath are getting really hot and it's like cooking the rotting flesh underneath my van and it smells so fucking bad yeah and like i'm gagging it smells so bad but i pull into chipotle at like 9 51 and as soon as i pull in the parking lot they turn off the lights oh and i just lose my shit i'm like you've gotta be fucking kidding me after all i went through today after having like a 10 hour day in the mountains and like completely wrecking myself and like running over like something and now like my the whole just just everything was just like a perfect scenario of just bullshit yeah i was just so mad and so (laughs) i went to bed very hungry very disgruntled and very smelly that night and then well the next day i went back to chipotle yeah again to that same chipotle on like yeah. a sunday and i had and i got a burrito okay and i decided to write the following review <laughs> it's a three-star review okay and so i wrote so here's the deer here yeah so here's the deal chipotle last night i was driving back from Estes park and was in a pretty run-down mood I had sprained my foot while climbing in Lumpy Ridge for 10 hours, forcing me to hike three miles while gimping along and had hit a giant, parentheses, already dead, elk, parentheses, or possibly moose, head on with my van. Needless to say, it was a bad day. And all I wanted, the only, all caps, thing I wanted was a burrito. (laughs) I was famished and Chipotle has always been a source of comfort for me. I cherish the moments I have at Chipotle, just me and my burrito after a rough day in the mountains. 
So I pull in at 9.51 p.m. And just as I pull up, the lights turn off. All caps. You are supposed to be open until 10 p.m. And this was all I wanted. <laughs> so I was disappointed. Did they but change today, their hours? <laughs> well, no, oh, I'm not done yet. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but today, I gave you another chance. I go in, it's busy, and I order my usual. Parentheses. Chicken and veggie burrito with light brown rice, light pinto, pinko, corn, salsa, cheese, guac, and lettuce. And you know what? This was the best Chipotle burrito I have ever had. The wrapping was perfect. The distribution of ingredients was flawless. The guac was sublime. It was everything I had ever dreamed of in a burrito. My heart literally skipped a beat. Then it kept skipping beats. Then I had a heart attack and died. So yeah, three, three stars. Three stars. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I hope they read that and think, what did I just read? Because I don't know if I feel like, good or bad about like, my work. <laughs> you know what's also funny about that is when I moved back to Boulder uh, a year and a half ago, this yeah. is like three, three years ago or something like that. When I moved back to Boulder three and a half ago, you know, like, uh, I was just trying to get like whatever job I could. Yeah. And so I actually interviewed at that Chipotle and I was really nervous going in thinking, Oh God, I hope they don't recognize my name. That's yeah. the, the guy who wrote the very outlandish extra uh, <laughs> review. That's so funny. Uh, I don't, did they mention it? Yeah. No, they did not mention it, but uh, I did not get a call back. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Such a funny burrito story. That's going on because I'm burritos forever now. <laughs> Sweet. I dig it. <laughs> Well, so, um, that's unfortunately about the time we kind of have. Um, my next kind of question is just kind of like a last end question. Um, mm -hmm. What's kind of next for you after this pandemic? And yeah, would you like to share anything kind of before we go? So a little bit of a two-part question. What's next for me? Yeah. Honestly, like I, my life is not perfect in a lot of ways. Like I, you know, like I work in outdoor education, you know, like in climbing, like I don't make a lot of money and that definitely makes life a little bit harder. Um, but I love my life. And in a lot of ways I kind of have, like, I have a good thing going for me. Like I have, you know, like I have really amazing friends, you know, like I have a beautiful home, like I've got a good partner, like my, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm active. I'm happy. I think like the big thing is just like, I really want to prioritize uh, community so much more. Yeah. Um, like I have so many amazing friends, but just not that many of them are in Colorado, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And especially after this uh, last trip, uh, spending five weeks climbing down in El Petro Chico in Mexico, I just had such an amazing community there and I loved it so much. And you know, everybody was just unapologetically like friendly and like just supportive of one another and just enthusiastic mm -hmm. like about everything. Yeah. Um, and I think just uh, maybe just like something about our culture that like people don't like aren't inclined to be that way in their normal day to day life. They feel like they can only be that way when they're on vacation or when they're traveling. And I don't think it has to be that way. So I think if anything, like, I just want to be the person who can be a creator of community, you know, yeah. who can, like, I want to be the person that other people can look to, to, 
celebrate things with like big or small that doesn't just have to be like during that like one or two or three months a year that like you're off having your adventures or something like that for people like you and I who can afford to take a few months off to take those trips um when a lot of people don't even get that so they may only have two weeks vacation um but yeah I think that's maybe like the big takeaway for me it's just like value community more and spend more time with people um and like if there's anything I want to leave people off with is ah man like if you have a friend who you haven't heard from in a while or that you haven't you know reached out to in a while but maybe like you you just kind of pop in they just pop in your head from time to time you think like I wonder how so-and-so's do it could be an old college friend or high school friend or someone who's just moved away just send like even as simple as like sending them a text and just say hey I care about you and I think about you sometimes and I hope you're doing well or better yet if you have your if you have their address write them a letter Mm -hmm. people fucking love receiving letters because it takes time and it takes energy and takes commitment and no one does it anymore so it's like extra special and just letting someone know that you're thinking about them don't hold that in just let them know I think that's a great, great takeaway from this time and pandemic and obviously your insight. And yeah, I think I need to be challenged that way a little more. I need to reach out to people and yeah, I think everyone. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what this is. Like, I think it's cool that you're doing this. Like it gives you an excuse to, you know, would like, would you and I be talking right now if you weren't running this podcast? Honestly, probably not. I, mean, I feel like we'd probably, you know, maybe down then, but I don't think we could yeah, have we do. in this in depth. You know, I feel like I know you more and better now because of this podcast. I really do. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, so, I feel like I should interview you so like I can hear like your take on all this shit too. Mate, I've been thinking so for uh, future episodes, I've, I wanted to switch roles with someone. I think it'd be really cool as like a special podcast, you know? Oh, totally. So, I'd love yeah. to have that talk with you. If you'd ever be interested in that, I would love to do that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> For sure, dude. And we'll definitely have to have more chats uh, when the mics are off, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, Bill. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. Um, again, thank you for hopping on. And yeah, and then we'll talk soon. <laughs> for sure, man. Peace out. All right. Cheers. <laughs>